Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Junk Drawer Podcast. Alrighty, and we are back. And today is a very special episode. Back with popular demand um, is my wife, Nicole. And little disclaimer, we are working out some audio things to try to make um, two-person, in-person podcast better uh, with what I do. Uh, I have a good setup for a solo podcast and call-in podcast, but not um, so much for in-person. So anyway... Um, just a little disclaimer, audio might be a little weird. Also, you may hear the dog shaking, barking, doing whatever. And also, um, the baby is down to bed, but you never know, he might wake up. So, uh, this is a very special podcast episode because um, I wanted to do a series with Nicole on um, some of our favorite books, not only growing up, but even still, and that is The Chronicles of Narnia. So, we, Nicole actually came up with the suggestion to do a... Um, kind of like a mini series on the books and just kind of our different thoughts. Not so much a book club style where you read through it and you analyze every little piece. It's more of a flyover kind of um, how we view the books and, and our favorite things, kind of our favorite characters, the different things that pop out to us in the books. Um, and, oh, I think we'll start right from the top, obviously, and this will be a probably a little shorter of an episode. We're just going to cover just the one book, but we'll probably combine um, other books, multiple books into um, single episodes and stuff like that. Um, but we'll just cover uh, the first book, uh, The Magician's Nephew, today. And yeah, uh, Nicole, do you have anything to add um, to that intro? I think also that we should just say that we are talking mostly about the audio dramas more than the actual books. We've both read the books a lot. Uh, over the years, but in more recent years, we have listened to the audio dramas that Focus on the Family has more, and so that's kind of our recent memory, I would say. At least for me, I'm thinking more of the audio dramas, which are very close to the books. Yeah, yep. More than the actual books themselves, so yeah, like, a, we should say that probably. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and you can really... The audio dramas, Focus on the Family, I'll give them a little plug right here. Um they do do a phenomenal job. You can almost read the book along with the audio drama. They pretty much only cut out unnecessary information type content. Um, they do a phenomenal job. Um, so yeah, that definitely is probably where we're gonna come from mostly. Um, and please, if you if you watch the movies, um, go read the book. Uh, books are better. Um, movies are great, standalone, but you're missing out if you haven't read the books or listen to the audio drama either way. I really uh, think about the movies like they're good, but I have to just set them aside from the books. Like to me, they're almost not even the same. Yeah. Uh, they take such liberties in the movies and it's like, eh, this isn't even the same story. This is a separate story. <laughs> right. And I mean, that's how it is. People get on the case of, you know, whenever there's a book movie that comes out, people always get after it and like complain a ton. But, it's kind of par for the course. Um, so yeah, definitely just separate that. But anyway, that's a kind of a little rabbit trail, but just probably figured that'd be a good thing to get out in the in the beginning. Um, so 
Magician's Nephew, um, it, it chronologically, it actually, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, chronologically written, it came later. I was um, going to ask you that because I couldn't remember. I oh, knew man. it wasn't first, but I couldn't remember where it was. I should look it, it up was. real quick. Um, in the lineup. Go ahead and say say a few thoughts on kind of that if you want while I look it up. I almost think it might have even been last or close to last, but I can't remember for sure. But yeah. Uh, let's see. To me, it's really different from all the others. I don't know. It ha- just has a different tone about it. Right. From some of the other ones. But it's really good. I, I really like this It was one. the sixth out of the seventh. I think, th- I think the last battle was last. Yeah. So um, almost last. So it was the second last. And the reason why C.S. Lewis actually wrote the book um, was to fill a lot of the gaps that his readers had. Um to Narnia and I think that's almost one reason why it's so fascinating in some ways because there's so many little tidbits as you read it slash listen to it that pop out to you especially in light of the other books like oh it it's almost always looking forward like like he'll give a an event will happen and it, it looks forward to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right. it looks forward to such and such a book it looks for and so that's one reason why it's really really awesome is because it fills all, it, it really completes. And I think that it's really actually cool that it was written later on because it, you know, a, a lot of times like when you read the Bible, um, you read portions like way ahead, but then, and then when you go back and read Genesis in the beginning, it actually makes more sense. And right. it's kind of the same way with, with uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Like so many of the books, The Horse and His Boy, The Lion, the Wizard, and Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, The Voyage of John Treader, they're almost standalone books in a lot of ways. Um, like you can read them and not, I mean, you'll, you'll kind of like won't know the complete story, but you can still read them as standalone books. But then like The Magician's Nephew completes, um, completes the rest of them. I don't know if right. that makes sense what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. I think also... The way that it was written, and this is one of my favorite things about this story, but also maybe one of the most frustrating things to me, is there are so many branches off of this book that could have happened and that I wish someone that's really good at writing would take because like, that's one of the biggest things that cro- like is constantly crossing my mind while I'm listening to this or reading the book is like what actually happened in charn like you have all of those there's so many things i want to know (laughs) about that land and then there's all the other pools in the wood between the worlds. like i want to know all those details and i think that could have been really cool like side books or side series that could have happened that never did and so not only fills in the gaps of this series, but it just like makes my imagination explode with what else could have been going on in other worlds that he like touched on and like teased about. And then you never, never wrote books about it. I just think that's really an interesting concept of this book. You do kind of wonder if maybe C.S. Lewis even maybe thought about doing that. I don't know if he ever commented on it. I maybe should have done research on that. Um, but it's also it also kind of plays into the theory of you know leave your readers wanting more rather than yes. give too much. So yes, but yeah, sure. there are there are a lot of you know there's also like the big gap between you know the creation of Narnia 
and everything that happened until the line joined the witch in the wardrobe, even though it's hinted at, and we'll talk about this in a little bit when we kind of get into the allegory portions of the book. Um, you know, there's that huge gap of time. Like how did the queen, um, gain power? Like what happened? And, and like he talks about how Aslan talks about how the queen will only gain power when, um, basically the Narnians let her and the tree fails and all that. Mm, right. And so that's like another thing, like it just kind of leaves you, it leaves your imagination to run wild, which I think is kind of the beauty of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, the fact that they always leave your imagination trying to fill gaps, trying to give, get more and, and, uh, desiring more. That's like the beauty of C.S. Lewis's writing. Yeah. And it's awesome. Um, so I don't want to get too far ahead because a lot of what we just said will come back up. Um, so I think we should just start kind of at the beginning and work our way through um, the book. Um, I don't know if you had anything you kind of want to add before we hop into it. I wanted to read one quote um, that C.S. Lewis said, and I think it would be a good quote maybe to start each episode with. I meant to start, actually start it, but the quote is, one day you'll be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. And just how the beauty of the Chronicles of Narnia is they're literally for all age groups. Like I read them and listen to them now and I still notice new things. Yeah. And they were my, I literally, and I kid you, like this isn't a exaggeration, which I am known a little bit for hyperbole, but this is (laughs) not. I literally probably listened to them between the age of 11 and the age of 16, no less than 25 times each. And I probably read them just as many. Um, Brendan actually still blames me for destroying his book and destroying his original CDs, but yeah, eh, whatever. Well, um, mine, my books are over on the shelf, I think, and they are pretty worn. But w- the first time I read them, my uncle bought them for me for Christmas, and my mom made me read them for school. So I was only allowed to read a chapter a day, and it was... That's literally torture. It was. It was. It was torture. Like... A chapter is like nothing. I just <laughs> wanted to. Child abuse. <laughs> I could have read a book a day. Easy. Oh, man. I still remember that. But yeah. Um, so the characters in the book, obviously, if you know anything about it, if you don't, um, you'll learn when you read. But the, the main two characters are Diggory and Polly. Um, and then the kind of sub characters are um, Uncle Andrew. I spend the whole time just mad at him. You just literally want to kill him. Like annoyed like, at him, him. Hit him with the a baseball bat. Time. Like you want to rip his toenails out. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, then the queen of Charn. Um, Jar- is it Jardis? Jade? Yeah, Jardis. Jardis. I think yeah. Jardis. Oh, I know. And then obviously Aslan, who throughout the books is the picture of, I guess you'd say Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I think. Because yes. he refers to the emperor over the sea. Right. Who is God the Father. And I, I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is implied. I think it, it's mostly implied when you get to the horse and his boy. And I think we'll talk about it then. But like it's always talked about how there's a the force pushing people to two things. And, and so the Holy Spirit is implied. And it, it's like C.S. Lewis did such a good job. Aslan, like in the Bible is clearly a clear depiction of Jesus Christ as Savior. The Holy Spirit, like in the Bible, is implied as, you know, the force that God uses to 
influence man to do what is right. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. And God the Father is not like he's explicitly mentioned, just like the emperor of the sea is mentioned sending Aslan, sending right. Jesus Christ to Earth, to Narnia. I think it's really cool. C.S. Lewis did a really good job. So that's, uh, we'll get into that more, I'm sure, in future episodes um, in more detail, for sure. Um, especially Line the Witch and the Wardrobe. But yeah, yeah, and so those are the main characters. The plot line, I don't know, do, do you want to give the general plot line, Nicole? I don't want to be the only one talking. Yeah, so it starts with Diggory and Polly just exploring. And I don't want to give too much away if you've never heard it or read the books, but they end up in Charn. They end up bringing back Jardis, um, who is the wicked lady in the whole thing. She ends up being a depiction of Satan. Yeah, definitely. They end up bringing her back to England, and then they end up in Narnia, trying to get her back to her own country. They end up in Narnia, which is a brand new country that is just being created. And that's probably my favorite part of the whole thing, is yeah. that part where yeah. Narnia is being created, uh, they're naming the animals, and obviously it's different than the Bible. You know, it's an allegory, it's not an exact representation of Genesis or anything, right. but it's still just to hear or to read the description of how Narnia was created, how the things came to be, the awe and wonder of those that saw it. I don't know. It just really makes you think about when God created this world, like, and what that was like. It just is a really, really neat mental picture for me. And then like the naming and creating of the animals and all that too. Like that whole section is just really interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. And really easy to see in my mind's eye somehow, even though it's a fake world. But, but it, it's like I can just picture it all happening. Yeah, and if I can interject just real quick, like that is the beauty of C.S. Lewis's writing in, in the allegory. He doesn't just direct rip the Bible, if you will. It isn't a direct, like, oh, took the Bible and wrote the book side by side. Like, he he inserted the truth to kind of let your, but but he lets your imagination work. And it's really cool. Um, yeah, so keep going. So then as soon as the world was created, Aslan recognized that there was already evil in the world because this queen had come with them and sends Diggory and Polly on a mission to do what they needed to do to protect Narnia from her. Um, and that's all I'm going to give away about the ending. Yeah. Some other details there, but I'm not going to spoil it for people who may not have heard it, which I, if you haven't heard it, what's your problem? Yeah, no, literally, if you haven't heard it, like if you've come this far, if you're 15 minutes into this podcast and you haven't heard it, stop listening to this podcast. Go either buy the audio drama, go buy the audio books read by somebody. borrow the books from us if you're local. Borrow the books. They're at every single library. You could borrow um, the CDs from us if you're local. Yeah, I'm just going to skip a little, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. true. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, like, stop listening to this and go actually read the books. So that way, there's your, there's your end. Now everything from here on may or may not be spoiler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So 
it's it's awesome just all the different things in the book that like you said it's just like beautiful beautiful pictures the characters are phenomenal like you just fall in love with the characters in his books who's your favorite character in this book Ooh, that was on my list of questions to ask you um This is a little bit strange, but I really love the cabbie. Yeah. Yep. Because he's just, to me, a picture of just, like, the common man, I guess, Mm -hmm. in the story. Like, he's just so wholesome and doesn't really know what's going on. (laughs) And, (laughs) but yet he gets to, because he's, like, kind of, like, faithful in the book a little bit, like, he gets to reap benefits from that in this new world. Right, and like, right. I don't know, there's just something about him that like, he, he's the most relatable almost. And then he's just like, he has a, he has like a sense of pure innocence. Yeah. And actually my favorite character, like, I have a really hard time picking one. Um, it would actually, it would be, it's, it's really is like a toss up between the cabbie, Polly and actually strawberry the horse. Or fledge. Yeah. His name's yeah. changed. And, and all really because of the same thing. They all kind of have, like, Polly. Polly is so good to Diggory, even though Diggory is nasty to her at times. She is a loyal friend. She She's kind of the level-headed one. Yeah. And she she has that that pure innocence. Um, The same with the cabbie. He he does what's right. He when he when he Aslan's asking if he wants to be the king, he immediately says, I, "I want my wife to be here," and Aslan brings her there. And and yet he and then when Aslan asks him to do the things, he he answers honestly and truthfully that he'll he'll do his best. He can't promise anything, but he'll he'll seek to do his best and be fair and honest. And that he doesn't isn't he the one that says like he doesn't feel ready? Yes, or doesn't yep. feel. Something yeah, like he, he's just like a humble, a humble man yeah. that is unassuming. And I love how in the books, um, in Narnia, Aslan refers to them as sons of Adam, yeah. daughters of Eve, and which I think points back to, you know, the allegory that is given there. But it's a beautiful picture um, of the innocence that was there at the beginning. Right. Um, All three of those that you mentioned to um, the cabbie. Polly and Strawberry all they're all just the ones that kind of just do their job and they right. just do what they're supposed to be right. doing the whole time and in in the last yeah in the last on. word I was going to say is loyal like they're all loyal yeah. to what is yeah. right to each other um and even Diggory really irritates me at times yes which I think again is a part of kind of the beauty of C.S. Lewis it, like you think oh what did I write down uh, like Diggory, Diggory and Charn. It, yes. It's a picture of sinful man. Yeah. Like, in, and it's also a picture of how our decisions affect other people. Like, literally, Diggory rings the bell, and he tries to tell Aslan later, like, "Oh, I was enchanted," but then realizes, "No, I wasn't enchanted. I was just foolish." Yeah. Um. And you see, and then, but it was because of him that 
Jardis goes back to London and destroys things and then drags Uncle Andrew into the picture. And then they bring her to the new pure world where she later, as a picture of Satan, is going to deceive and destroy. And evil is brought into the world. Um, and so it's just a picture of him doing it. But then it also shows, um, like, he's the one that has to fix it. Like, Aslan gives him the mission. He's the one that messed right. up. So Aslan says, okay, now you're going to help me fix the problem. And you can see in that he kind of learned from his mistakes because he had the opportunity to mess that up too. Right. And right. he chose like the right thing in that instance. So you can kind of see where he's like right. growing as a person. Yeah. Like when he's in the garden and the queen is, you know, trying to convince him, he says, you almost had me, but then, yeah. you know, you, you said to leave Polly. Right. And he, you know, he learned from his mistake. And then uncle Andrew is like the picture of unbelieving man. Right. Like pure, carnal unbelieving man refuses to believe and it actually comes back in in the last battle i don't want to get too far ahead but with the dwarves like oh right yeah so that's another thing we'll talk about later yeah. on but um uncle andrew is just the picture of like pure unbelieving man who who only cares about himself like he wanted to plant the coins and the thing right. or he wanted to plant metal to become a billionaire or whatever yeah um but he didn't understand, like, because to him, everything was about, like, he got them into the situation because of his selfishness. You know, he sent them, he sent Polly, tricked her in the beginning, didn't even care, sent the guinea pig, didn't even care. But then when he actually was there, he hated it. He didn't know what he was getting into. He's tampering with things outside of his control, outside of him. But it's all because he's just selfish. Yeah. Yep. All right, what do you got before I pitch in something else I had a thought and it just flew out of my head oh I know what it was the part where they plant the toffee I think right from yep. the pocket they have nothing to eat oh, I don't want to talk to the lamppost too but. and they're like let's plant this and see what happens and then the description of the fruit that grows from it like I just it makes my mouth water I wanted to like be able to taste that fruit in a weird way yeah it's like toffee okay, in, flavored fruit it just sounds so good to me and a side note on focus on the family props and kudos to them the guy who narrates is absolutely phenomenal like yeah. if it wasn't for the narrator the books wouldn't or the the audio dramas wouldn't even be as good as they are right um they literally it's found really the good. best person on planet earth to narrate the books Oh, that's a side note. Um, and then also the planting of the lamppost. Uh, Jardis tries to kill Aslan by throwing the pole, and it hits him in the head. Doesn't phase him. And then it grows the lamppost, which is pointing again forward to uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Like, right. it, like when you re read the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you don't, like, that's another thing that I didn't realize until I got older that makes like makes you appreciate them that much more. So. If you were to read them in the order they were written, which I think was, well, just, I, I, I'll get the chronological order of the written for the next podcast. The Lion, the Witch, and the Order was, was first. first, right. Yeah. So the thing is, like, if you think about it from that, if I knew that, like, I read them in order when I first did it, in, in, in uh, sequential order, like yeah. the way we have them now. 
But can you imagine like reading them when you were a kid and you read the first one and you're like, well, where did the, where in the world is random lamppost come from that's in the woods? Well, then you read the magician's nephew way later and it's like, oh, well, that's how it got there. That's cool. That's a cool little piece of the story. Um, yeah, it's just little things like that. It's just little nuggets that C.S. Lewis, you know, inserted in there. And it's like, oh, there's the lamppost. Oh, you can be excited about the lamppost or right. whatever the case may be. And uh, and then in the and uh, oh, there's something else I'm gonna say. I don't remember what it was. It was something about that. Um, I think one one thing I really really like about the magician's nephew is how it points forward to Aslan as the savior. And also like Aslan feels Diggory's pain. He talks, he says how in, in the world only Diggory and Aslan actually know true pain. Mm. And it's because Aslan knows what's going to happen mm. when he's going to have to die in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to save his land again. Yeah, And Diggory feels the pain of death from his mother literally I think it's it's pointing at that they're the only two that know death right and uh, the world is innocent and pure but they know death like even the cabbie and Polly and Uncle Andrew and Fledge or Strawberry whatever you want to call him they don't know, actually know true grief and true pain and true right. true uh, you know death like what it's like to face death um, and I think it's, it's a really cool thing to see and like Aslan says like I'm going to bear the pain and responsibility and he's teaching Diggory how he's facing the pain and responsibility of his mother right and saving her and it's it's a really cool picture that um, is very clear it's also interesting how Aslan doesn't just take the witch out like right. he provides a way of safety for the country right instead of just taking instead of just taking her out right like you probably could have done yeah no because i think of that all the time when when you read it it's like well oh man you know aslan could have just like dominated her and took care of it but but that's not because she wasn't at at the beginning she wasn't very powerful no like she loses her power from charn when she goes into narnia right and i think it just shows again kind of that you know Aslan created this world for his creation to rule over or whatever and he doesn't just want to like step in and and take control he's giving it to them to rule yeah just like God doesn't didn't create us as puppets right it's neat it's cool stuff Um, again we could probably go on and on like you can just nitpick the book (laughs) like crazy um trying to think if there's uh, okay do you have any problems with the book this is my well what do you wait what do you mean by problem um i'm trying to think how to word it where it doesn't sound like like do i take issue with anything yeah like there's always one thing that i take issue with this is my second question on my list for you was if there's any flaws or even like plot holes holes in the story I don't um, think. Like I can't think of any plot holes. I can't think of anything. Like because of the way the Chronicles of Narnia are written, there aren't any real plot holes. Because 
what could be taken as plot holes are more like imagination holes. Yeah. Like they're right. left for your imagination right. to fill. They're not really plot holes. Right. Um, I always have one issue with, and I guess it, it, maybe I'm like really, really digging deep. Um, and I know this is what a lot of critics of C.S. Lewis have an issue with him on is he kind of has like a works based mentality in his stuff. So if you're like, you're reading them, which I understand you can't go apples to apples because that's not, that's not what they're intended to be. But I just don't like how like the cabbie says, well, I've lived a good life. So I believe I'd go to heaven. It's like, yeah, that's true. But I, well, he doesn't I, say go to heaven, but yeah, whatever he says, yeah. I can't think of, it, it's implied. Yeah. Yeah. Which I know that's like, that's the one thing that a lot of people take issue with. I think it actually, again, comes up with in the last battle with the, um, Telmarine. Wait, Telmarine? No, uh, not Telmarine. That's, yeah, that's Prince Caspian. No, it's what's the guy? Tash Bond. Oh right, right, right. The guy Tizrock, the Tizrock dude. Whatever, whatever. What are they called? I don't know. I, I can't, can't think remember. what they're called. Um, it's on like the tip of my tongue. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The guy. The guy is inside. He he gets inside the stable, and we'll talk about it later. I don't want to. I don't want to jump way ahead because that's like that's six episodes from now, <laughs> or whatever, four episodes from now. Um, but yeah, that would be the only thing. And I know I'm nitpicking. I know I'm digging deep, but like into like trying to find something. But that would be my only issue. Oh, I love the planting of the tree yeah. in, in the rings. I like oh, uh, that's like yeah. one of my favorite parts yeah. of the book because it's like they Diggory goes back saves his mom and I don't know if you want to talk about if I'm talking too much no, um, fine. Go ahead. he plants the tree and then he talks about how that tree is made into the wardrobe and it's right. like that's the wardrobe yeah. there's the wardrobe there's the lamppost it's another like would be another really cool moment if you didn't read that book first yeah. where you'd be like oh yeah the wardrobe um, talk some for a minute on anything you want to. I need to take some notes. That way we don't forget something for future. All right. The only, I only had a couple other things written down and we've kind of talked about this quite a bit already, but I'm wondering if there's an allegory that is your favorite from this book. So like there's lots of allegories, but what one impacts you the most? But before you answer that, I will say, I think I was probably an adult before I realized these books were allegory. Right. Isn't that bad? Like, I just never realized growing up reading the books, I never realized they were supposed to be an allegory. I just read them as fictional stories. Right. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I actually realized, wait, these are supposed to be allegories. And then it was like, totally changed the way I read them obviously but i i think again that that's what makes it like really good for all ages because when you're right. a kid you just don't think about that as much right and you no, can appreciate I, them on a whole new level as an adult i can't say when i realized they're allegory because i don't actually know like i don't know like when it was like oh these are allegory that's talking about that that's talking about that um I do, I will say, I remember, so I had a little CD, like, you know, the little Walkman CD players? Yeah. And a pair of headphones. And I remember 
nights when I couldn't sleep, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I would like, I had it under my pillow and I'd listen to it because I like could not stop listening to them. Um, and I think, uh, full confession time, Brendan, I actually am really sorry that I destroyed your CDs, <laughs> but please forgive me because they made me very, very happy as a child. So I know it's a sore spot, but please forgive my destructive behaviors, <laughs> even though they made me very happy. You probably forgot about it by now. <laughs> ah, he still brings it up every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a joke, but yeah. I remember, I think it was grandpa and, or maybe Grammy and grandpa got Brendan the book. And they got him the one that had all of them in one. So it was oh, like a wow. big, thick book. And then I actually got my own set. Of, I read that first. He finally let me read it when I was probably <laughs> 10. He let me borrow it. Sounds and I read like through he was it. a Scrooge. No, he just liked to keep <laughs> his stuff nice. Which oh, I, I can't say as I blamed him. I did have kind of a track record. That's true. Um, but then when I was, I think I was 11, I think dad got him for me actually from the school where he worked, I think. Mm. Um, and they were beat. Like, they were, I think they were getting rid of them, so he got them. And then when I was 14 or 15, I bought a, it, I was at a Christian book sale and I bought like a brand new set. Oh, nice. Like they had been probably read once, if that. Where are they now? I gave them away. Who did I give them to? I gave them away when we got married. Did oh, really? I might have given them to Judah. Oh, yeah, actually. I think I gave them to Judah. Yeah, I think you did. Because they came right. inside like the cardboard case and everything. Yeah, I forgot about that. Anyway, we're digressing away a little bit. Um, what was your question? Favorite allegory? Yeah. Is there one specific allegory in this book that... <sighs> That's a really hard question. Probably... That probably would be the picture as Aslan, the savior, pointing ahead. Um, and his life, his love for his creation. Yeah. I think it probably would be that probably that's probably what it would be I think for me it might be how Diggory messes up and like I guess I can just see my own sinful tendencies in in him and like how he messes up and has to you know confess it and make it right in a way admit admit to what he did wrong and then like I already said like how you see that he's improved, you know, and he's changing. Yeah. Towards the end, I think all of that would probably be my favorite one. Yeah. Just because it's really relatable. Yeah. There's just so much good stuff. Like, even take away the allegory, even like pre-Narnia, like the way the book opens is just like so great. It's like, classic kids yes like every kid's dream it starts with you know paul and diggory meet and then they're like playing in the attic like and it just like my dream right right it's like literally every kid's dream so like the way the books are written they just capture you instantly like instantly yeah. you're just drawn to this beautiful awesome picture of these kids like you know, they all their friends are gone away on an, on holiday for the vacation for for summer vacation, but they're stuck at home because Diggory's mom is ill and he's living with you know cranky cranky aunt and uncle or whatever. Yeah. And then Polly, for whatever reason, I don't remember if he gives a reason for her being home. 
So they're stuck at home, so they create their own adventures. And that's like what I did as a kid. Yeah. You know, we would always find the the crazy places to build the fort, like the the attics and the I remember Aunt Rosie when she built her house above us. Um we used to love going up there. We'd literally run through the attics and we'd ha- find tunnels and different things yeah. through and 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 that's like a kid's so like right off the bat, you have that awesome fun picture and then it like morphs into even more awesome stuff with magic and going to different worlds and talking animals and adventures um oh that was one thing i was gonna say so all of the other books lion the witch in the wardrobe prince caspian the voyage of the dawn treader um I'm drawing a blank. Silver chair and the last battle. All of them have wars or battles. The magician's nephew is the only one without a fight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's because his creation, everything was good. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, to me, that's like one thing I see it as. I mean, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm pulling that out of thin air, but that's one thing I noticed. Yeah. Oh, also, Aslan. So, the books were written a little history the books were written after or during like right after or during the end part end part of world war 2 hmm. and the reason why cs lewis wrote the books what well, it might have been during like the end portion i can't remember the year but it doesn't it's that that's kind of irrelevant the reason why cs lewis wrote the books he he started with the one of the kids going and living with um oh what's his name? Oh, the, the professor. The professor. Is he just referred to as the professor? Professor Kirk? Is that what he's referred to? Yeah. Um they go to live with him because they're refugees and then the story builds from there. Right. Um C. S. Lewis housed several refugee refugees during World War Two and that's where he got the idea. He he actually had one of the girls that that uh um, lived with him was into like she loved books and magic and stuff and mm-hmm. a, another plug for uh, folks on the family they do C.S. Lewis at War and they give a lot of this history in that and it is it's, oh, it's accurate I've read books that corroborate um, the story so it's actually really it's it's really good it's helpful and it's a fun way fun one to listen to Um, but because he had those people that uh, oh, sorry those girls that lived with him that's actually why he wrote the books and so in the last, or sorry, in the line, the man alive, I am in the magician's nephew. He talks about how he tells Diggory that in the future, people in his world, earth, London, a man will rise up. That'll be evil and fight great wars, blah, blah, mm. blah. And he's talking about obviously the war two and Hitler and his, right. the atrocities of World War Two, and the evil and all that, and it, it's just cool to see how, you know, C.S. Lewis brought in practical real life, yeah, to his books as well, relatable real life. Um, that's just an interesting fact, yeah, about the books. Um, C.S. Lewis is a remarkable character, a very, he was actually like a atheist at one point, and, um, you know how he how he got say his salvation testimony and and all that is really cool. It's a lot of fun history. 
Um, he has a lot of really good stuff. I encourage you to, if you don't know much about C.S. Lewis, go and research C.S. Lewis. He's got some fun stuff. Um, like anything, though, he is a human, so there are flaws, but um, definitely got some good stuff. Closing thoughts, any other comments? What do you think? I had one other question for you. Okay. Are there any major differences between the book and the audio drama that you do or don't like? Oh, man. You know, it's actually been a while since I've read the book. I know. <laughs> and so I would probably have to read the book again to accurately answer that question. But off the top of my head, I would say no. The only one I can think of from this story, if I'm remembering correctly, I like the how the book describes. Remember that part where Narnia has been created, the animals have been created, and then the animals don't know what to do with Uncle Andrew and they like try to plant him and then they try to water him and then like they all try to bring him things like the the bears bring him honey the I think the book just goes into a lot more detail right. than the audio drama I actually really like that part of the book it's just like a really funny moment where Uncle Andrew gets what's coming to him it's funny because I think actually that part of the book always annoyed me because it's like who cares Oh, really? Well, maybe that's why they left it out of the audio drama because they were like, eh, no one cares about this. But well, I actually think it's just I a mean, funny little picture. Yeah. I think there's even, a, like, at least in my books, there was a little sketch of him. Yeah, there was. I don't know. It's just like always a funny little Man, maybe tidbit. we should do like an actual read-through on the, on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking right at the books actually right now. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of differences, no. though. That's the only I, well, one with this book no, that I could even No matter of. what, though, like they're going to... I think... Yeah, no matter what, they're going to have to cut some stuff out a little bit here yeah. and there. And, like, there's a lot more detail when they go to the garden. Um, there's a ton mm. more detail in the book of, like, them climbing the mountains and their snow yeah, and all that's that. True. Um, but it, I guess it's just something they kind of have to do yeah, to keep them to form or whatever. It definitely doesn't affect. Like, I wouldn't yeah, say it does it's not, a bad thing about the audio does drama. Not affect. No, it's fine. It's yeah. just literally doesn't truly affect it but yeah i guess sometimes it's nice to have all the details i actually think the only book again this is kind of a really weird rabbit trail i'm i'm a big uh focus on the family buff i think the the only one that they did literally where you can read it pretty much word for word is oliver twist oh really? um and that's why it's like the audio drama is literally like eight hours long or something like that it's, it's ridiculously <laughs> long but it but they literally do such a good job it's Ah, it's just so good. They, I, I'm really disappointed that they don't do it anymore. Like I remember yeah. when they stopped doing some of the ones they were doing, I was so disappointed. Um, because they did such just such a good job. I have one more unpopular opinion. Okay. I guess this might go back to if there's any flaws in it. I guess I would say that this is. I don't like Aslan's voice. You always say that. I've never understood why. I. Something about the way he talks, I don't know. To me, it doesn't... I guess the real problem is it doesn't suit the character he was in my mind just from the book. Really? Like, the voice didn't match who he was in my mind. He's the only character that that is the case, though, I think. Oh, see, I love his voice. To me, it's know. To me, it's an awesome blend of, like, majestic, authoritative... And yet, still a lion in my mind. Yeah. And maybe, and again, maybe this is just because 
I listened to, I think I listened to the two. So the very first one I ever listened to, and maybe it's the reason why this is my favorite one is the horse and his boy. I still remember sitting in Brendan's little tiny room, <laughs> me, him and Hunter and Jordan. I was on like the top bunk listening to the horse and his boy. Like I, I can see it in my mind's eye, but um, maybe the reason why um, it doesn't bother me or whatever I don't think it would, but maybe it's just because I listened to the audio dramas first. I don't know. I don't know for sure on that. Yeah, maybe. It doesn't bother me. I just, it's not the voice I would have picked. Not, like in, not like in the movies where they used uh, Liam, what's his name there, that talks like most sinister actor voice ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I, I think that's a good spot to end it. Um, wow. I said short. This actually is we're 45 minutes long. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like 20 minutes. I don't yeah. know. We might have to do an episode per a book. Maybe. I don't we'll think see. we're going to be able to do two in an episode. It's going to be like an hour and a half long. Yeah. We'd have to. We're going to have to cut so cut much short. out. I think we need to do an episode per yeah. book. So it's going to be a seven part series. Um. Yeah. This is fun. I love this type of stuff. This is like my favorite type of stuff to talk about. So this yeah. is awesome. But Yeah. Go get your go buy yourself um, a copy of the books for sure. Um, if you have the ability to get the audio dramas, they're available to purchase on pretty much every platform out there. Um, you can still get the CDs. If you're local to me, feel free to borrow them from me, even though some of them might skip. Um, again, feel free to borrow the books from us. Um, read them to your kids. I cannot wait to read these to Eric. Like I think these might be the first books I read, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> Probably together. Like, I remember dad reading to us. He never read us these, but he always read us books. And, I, and I, he read us the Hardy Boy books. Um, but I love these books. These will probably be the first ones I read to Eric. Are you going to read one chapter a day? Absolutely. Probably not. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe a chapter a day. Because when you're a younger kid, that's like perfect. That's so, true. So, I don't know. You, we'll see. when he's young enough. Um, we'll see. But, again, thank you so much for listening to Junk Drawer Podcast. Um, Nicole will be on for the next six episodes after this one so to all you people out there that are constantly like get nicole back on you're gonna get your fill and probably not get enough because she's amazing thank you for being on the podcast with me nicole thank and you thank you all for listening to the junk drawer podcast